as you look into a new year, definitely a time of reflection back on what 2019 looked like for you, but now as you have this time of renewal and a rekindling of focus and desire, my prayer for you would be that this would be a great year, serving the Lord, plugging into His church, and growing with His saints. We're all in different places on this journey, and some are here today, and maybe you're just trying to figure out what's next for you. Maybe some, you're just kind of in a routine. We don't want to call it a rut, but you're just, you're in a routine, and um, you're like, yeah, I remember the conversation last year, 2019, Happy New Year. I remember 2018. I've been doing this for 50 years, and maybe that's just where you are. So we're all just in different places, but what is important is that we use this time to to rededicate ourselves, saying, God, this is a new time for me to move forward, to make good choices, to surround myself with people who love me, who connect with me, and and who want to help me in my spiritual journey. You're a part of a place here at Parkway where the Word of God is a high priority. We want worship to be authentic, and with worship, we want it to transform our mind and our heart to be in tune to God. It's always directed and focused on Him. And then that prepares our heart to be open to the instruction of God's word, to hear his message for what he has for us at that very moment. I know what it's like to sit there and to hear God's message and and think, was that really for me today? Until you realize tomorrow, oh wow, that's exactly what I needed. And so here we are being very humbled and tender before the Lord, going into this new year, asking God to strengthen us, to stretch us, and to grow us to be more like Him. So as we look into 2020, uh, it's one of those things where you think, well, what's the new vision? Well, what, is, what are the goals and what's the exciting element? And really, we could bring to you some elements of vision that says about buildings and giving and, and, and remodels and all of those things that we may want to talk about. But when you really come to it, in looking into a new year, it is just about our lives being being strengthened in a solid foundation of God. There's some marriages in here that really need to be prayed over that God does a mighty work. And the truth is, is you're like, does he know what's going on in my home? Did you say something? And no, that's not what I'm talking about. But you know, you know the areas that God is is really trying to fine tune. Maybe for some of you, teenagers and college students, this is the year that God is looking for you to take a step of courage, a step of boldness to be a light in the midst of darkness on your campus, or maybe at your workplace, or maybe taking a step of surrender that says, here am I, send me, use me, do with me what you want. By nature, we've become very possessive people, and so we just really want to be a control freak with our life. We want everything to fit into the right pattern and place in the timing that we see fit. But 2020 needs to be a year, not of great huge visions for huge things, but really just to fine tune our spiritual journey. Tonight, we're going to look at spiritual friendships. Today, we're launching a two-part series on the word imagine. And as we look at this new year, what is it that you can imagine God doing in and through you? It's not looking around you saying, well, I hope they get their act together. I hope this place does something for God. It's saying, God, what do you want to do through me? And so today we're going to look at Luke chapter 10 together. And we're going to look at an incredible story of Jesus teaching a parable. And one that is very familiar 
This story is one that even the world society has grabbed a hold of, the Good Samaritan, and is used in many references to somebody being kind, merciful, and compassionate towards somebody else. And today we're going to look at this and we're going to imagine reaching more people. Imagine reaching more people. Do you realize that in between July 1st, 2017 and July 1st, 2018, 22,000 people moved into the Lakeland Winter Haven area. Now this county and this area specifically is booming. It is growing. When you look at Lakeland in a five mile radius from our campus, it is projected in 2022 to be 138,000 people just in our five mile radius. Now, there's a lot of churches in our five-mile radius. I get that. But there are not very many churches who are preaching the gospel and putting a high priority on Jesus Christ. And so we don't just bypass it and say, well, hopefully they'll find a place to connect. We realize that God is bringing people into our community, and as a church, we have to be prepared for that. I wanted to know a little bit more about Lakeland. The projected growth, what does it look like? What is it, what's going to take place? So Friday, I text Pastor, or not Pastor, Mayor, Mayor Mutz, and uh, he's like a pastor. He's a great guy. But I, I, I texted him, and I said, Mayor, what are you guys saying in your office for Lakeland? Like, what does it look like in the years ahead? So some hours later, he texted me back, and he said, by the year 2035, 15 years from now, he said, Lakeland will be at 500,000 people. I texted him back and I said, what? You're crazy. I am really respectful to the mayor. And um, he said, no, we are showing that all of Florida coast are overcrowded and people are moving inland. And he said, just look at the stats. 22,000 people are moving here every year. If you do the math, you're going to show that in 15 years, we will be at half a million people. Now, we're not going to preach on that because some of you are saying 15 years from now, I hope I won't even be here. Um, some of you are saying 15 minutes from now, I'm not ready to be here, all right? So wherever you are, I get it. But the truth is, is that as a church, we have to always be looking beyond ourselves to reaching more people. Not to build our own kingdom at the 4210, but to build the kingdom of Jesus Christ, to be a messenger and a mouthpiece of the love of Jesus to be an ambassador of the gospel, and to sit and watch how God uses his message to change people's lives. And so we're going to look here at this text in Luke chapter 10, and and we're going to kind of imagine what God would do with our life and our passions. Imagine what God will do through his church here at Parkway. Imagine whose lives can be impacted because of the power of the gospel and your passion to tell it. Imagine the internal impact that will be made because of our vision and our obedience to the mission. And so this one today, Luke 10, I want you to see with me in verse number, verse number 30. Luke 10, I'm in John 10, that's not going to help us. Here we go. Luke 10, verse 30. Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him. And departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, he came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, 
he had compassion on him. And he went to him, he bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said to him, please take care of him and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three, Jesus says, think thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou likewise. This morning, we study together, imagine reaching more people. Let's pray. God, I'm excited to be a part of today. I am eager to share with this church family, all those who are part of this day, what you have given us as your message. And so give us clarity of thought. Help us not to stumble over anything that would be distracting to your message. Open our our ears. Help us to be attentive to your truth. And Lord, use your word today to teach us, to challenge us, and to strengthen us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, we know that this section of scripture is a parable that Jesus gave in response to the lawyer who was asking what he thought was going to be a trick question to corner Jesus, to trick him into maybe giving a wrong answer. And so when he asked this question in verses 25 through 28, what it'll take to inherit the kingdom of God, and, and Jesus said, what is written in the law, thou readest thou, and, and he said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, with all thy strength and with all thy mind, and love thy neighbor as thyself, love God, love people. So Jesus is now going to answer that when the lawyer proceeds, waiting for an explanation. So Jesus is simply going to help him to evaluate who his neighbor truly is. Because in verse number 28, Jesus said, thou hast answered right, so this do and thou shalt live. And then the lawyer thought again, he would be a little snarky here and he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus gives this incredible parable, a wonderful story full of truth and instruction. And the verse I want to focus on this morning is verse number 34. Verse number 34 starts, and went to him. Now, we know the circumstance. The man, the unidentified man, has been, been beaten, stripped down, and left for half dead by some thieves. And then a, a, a Pharisee and a priest, or a Levite and a priest, have walked by him and avoided him going to the other side. And that's when the Samaritan has come up to him. And in verse 34, it tells us deliberately, directly, that he goes to him. The priest and the Levite are both categories of religious officials. And it's easy for us to judge them very quickly based on the fact that as they saw their Jewish brother lying in a miserable condition that neither of them had the compassion and mercy to stop. None of them had the love or fortitude to go to him and to help him. But there's something that we have to understand about their Old Testament law and their traditions. In asking Dr. Al Reichman about this, he was very clear sitting over some buffalo wings with me one night. And as he would wipe his face and then salt his wings some more, He told me that this was because of their ceremonial purity. Why the Levite, and by the way, Dr. Al Reichman is a missionary partner to the Jews, but he's also a full-fledged Jew himself. 
And so I was eager to find out more of this. And so he said, the priest and the Levite, they were under strict prohibitions regarding approaching the dead. You see, they were forbidden from entering even a cemetery or coming in contact with a dead body. So this would defile them and really render them unable to fulfill their service if they had gone to this, what they supposed and assumed to be a dead man. Now, this man appeared to be dead, though he wasn't, so they just would cross the street and pass by them. It's not that the priest and Levite were pompous or uncaring. It wasn't that they were doing something out of hatred or just despise. It was something that they were held to according to the law of Moses, and they were forbidden from coming in contact with a dead man, except we know that he wasn't dead, and they didn't care to find out. So what they did do was they assumed. Now, we know assumptions can get us into a lot of trouble, and we know that assumptions can lead us down the wrong pathway to make wrong decisions without having all the facts, without having all the details, and without being inquisitive enough to find out what the real circumstance is. Isn't it a lot easier to assume? It's a lot easier to just go ahead and assume because then it makes our decisions um, a lot more convenient. And that's where the Levite and priest are. Now, they could walk by and say, by ceremonial traditions and law, I can do nothing with this man. But they took, they, neither one of them took the time to go to him to find out what was the need. Now, when they assumed here, they assumed that he couldn't be helped. They assumed that it wouldn't do any good. They assumed that the cost was greater than the reward. And they assumed someone else would do it. And by the way, when we look at that in reference to us reaching more people, don't we often assume that some people just can't be helped? Don't we assume that if I were to do something, it wouldn't do any good anyway? Don't we sometimes assume that the cost is going to be greater than the reward? Sometimes don't we assume that somebody else will do it? Now, this is pride and complacency. And pride and complacency become the obstacles that keep us away from reaching more people. We're going to see here that pride keeps us focused on our own needs. And by the way, we all have our own needs. If you just want to take out a piece of paper and start listing your needs, you're going to fill a journal full, and we're going to have that from every unit in here. We, we all have our own needs, but pride keeps us focused on those needs, where it takes our mind and our passions and our energy and our emotions and when we are focused on our own needs, our own issues, our issues and ourselves, then we begin to make excuses. And we make excuses about why we are not the one to reach more people. What are the excuses you struggle with? Remember, our excuses are based on pride. And that really is fueled by assumptions. You may say, I, I just I can't have a conversation with my coworker about the gospel because he will quickly laugh and reject it. That's an assumption. Now you may say, no, it's not an assumption because I've seen it before. Okay, well now you're saying that the God who's impressed upon your heart to do that is not greater than that man's response and reaction. So there's an assumption. 
You see, all the time we're willing to make excuses about why we don't want to reach more people. And that's where the Levite and priest are, but the Good Samaritan was someone extending mercy and compassion. Verse 33, he had compassion on him. The man responding, the lawyer responding to the story in verse 37 said that he showed mercy or kindness on him. We'll look at verse number 34. He continues by saying, and he bound up his wounds. Now, this is really a shocking part of the story because generally speaking, the Jews and the Samaritans, they despised each other. We don't have the time to look at the, the history or the story about what this was entailing, but it was, it was racially driven and religiously driven. So racially and religiously, the Samaritans and the Jews did not connect, but rather clashed. So for this Samaritan to go out of his way to go to the wounded and then to even bound up and and help his wounds was something that would not have seemed to make sense to the crowd that Jesus was speaking to. Generally speaking, the Jews and Samaritans, they just, they despised each other. And the culture gave um, the Samaritan plenty of reasons to really hate this Jewish man. I mean, truly hate him and pass him by. But this is sacrificial love, the type that goes beyond himself and looks to help the other person. There was no hesitation, just immediate action. Think about Galatians chapter 6. If you're in our Wednesday night Bible study, a few weeks back, we studied Galatians 6, 1 through 4. And when we look at verses 1 through 3, it talks about those who are spiritual to confront those who have fallen or have been overcome with sin. And what that's speaking of is that there's no holy Joes or super saints walking around, but just those who are doing right and striving to know God more and and really implementing the scriptures into your life, those who are spiritual, are to confront those who are caught in sin, meaning not those who just accidentally sped through the intersection with a red light, but it's confronting those who are caught in sin habitually and just doing it without any remorse, with no regard of confession. They're just not going to deal with it. Yeah, it makes them feel guilty for a little while, and then they can quickly pass it by, and they're ready to move on. Now, remember, Paul is writing to new Christians in Galatia, and so he's telling those who are spiritual, those who are taking steps of growth, to find those that are caught up in these sins and to confront them spiritually. But then it continues in verse number two, and it talks about bearing ye one another's burdens. And this word burdens and this this thought of bearing it up, again, in our study that we did on a Wednesday night, talks about really coming alongside with somebody through a journey. It's not just a pat on the back. It's not a quick quote of the scripture. It's not a comment that says, I'll pray for you, which, by the way, sometimes we need to be careful of because our statement of, I'm sorry, I'll pray for you, may just go out for that very second and quickly be forgotten. That's why so often I'll write in my Bible, I've got a cue card that uh, Gabby gives me every week, and it's got a place for me to just jot notes constantly as I'm walking through, talking and interacting with people. Um, Sometimes I write in there, you know, he wore a really ugly shirt this Sunday, you know, those kinds of things, just really important things to be reminded of later in the week. And um, and because what what happens to be our tendency is we can, on the outside and in the first appearance, be really sad for them in that occasion but then quickly walk away and be like, that's their problem. They hope they can deal with that. And then we quickly move on. So here we're reminded by this bearing of another's burdens 
And by doing so, he says, we fulfill the law of Christ. Remember, the law of Christ was fulfilled through Jesus Christ, and that was through love. And so what greater picture do we see of loving God and loving people than through this story of the Samaritan? And remember, this is overcoming pride, because pride always prevents us from bearing one another's burdens. Now, this is not a pride that says, I'm better than you. It's a pride that says, I am more important than you. It's a pride that says, I deserve more of my own attention and love than you do. Now, we'll understand that sometimes it's hard to love people because the price of loving them does not always have a very great return of reward. Sometimes they'll even deny that love and care. Or sometimes they'll talk and gossip about us. Or sometimes they'll turn the tables on us. And so we find it very difficult to love them or to care for them. But remember, pride in this case is not saying that um, we're better than them. It just says, I am more important than you. And my own issues and my own everything are more important than yours. You know, Natalie came up to me in the service and just wanted to make me aware of a situation of somebody who's hurting, something somebody's going through. And it's something that now we as a family will carry with them. It is something that we want to go through the journey together. It's something that we want to pray and help bear burdens. It's something that we want to find partnerships together to enable that individual to see the love of Jesus Christ, but also just an overwhelming comfort from a group called a church family. So you see, that's bounding up the wounds. Philippians chapter 2 tells, tells us, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. So we can't let strife and this vainglory be the thing that becomes our motivation or our excelling point, but this lowliness, this humility of mind causes us to esteem other people better than who we are. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Look at verse 34. Not only did he bound up his wounds, but he did it by pouring in oil and wine. Now the need was seen and then acted on. The example that Christ gave of the oil and the wine was considered really a mini first aid kit. This would have been something that would have been used for these type of circumstances. But this was also something that somebody would have used as a traveler. Now remember, the Samaritan is traveling from point A to point B. He's got his first aid kit that he is willing to use to help somebody else. He's using his own resources. You see, the wine would contain alcohol. It was like an antiseptic um, effect on someone, taking out the infection of the wound. And then there's the oil. This would help to soothe the wound and give some, some small sense of relief from the pain. Now, action was required and action was done. Sitting still and letting others do the work was not an option for this individual. He could have said, somebody else behind me will come and and recognize the issue at hand and will take care of it. But no, this man said, there's a need and I will act on it. Think about that. Let's think about that in our own lives. You know God moments when he brings needs in front of us? And sometimes we want horse blinders and we just kind of want to turn like, nope, I didn't see that. I didn't see that. I don't hear anything. You know, and we try to avoid it. But see, he saw 
the need, acted on it, and used his own resources to aid. See, sitting still and letting others do the work is just not an option for us. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As every man hath received the gift, speaking of the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for eternal salvation, we are endowed with the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he gives us one of those things that continue to be used to glorify God and to be a blessing to the church family or to other Christians. And First Peter, Peter's writing this letter, and he says, as every man hath received the gift, he says, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. He says, take what you've been given, take what you've been gifted with, and use it as a good steward for the manifold of the grace of God. Are you using your gift set? Are you using your talents and your abilities to be used by God to help other people? Some of you in here are just really good at listening to people. And maybe this week, God wants to bring somebody your way that you just need to sit still and quiet and listen. Sometimes you don't always have to have the best catchy phrase or the most powerful quote or the most appropriate scripture. Sometimes those things scare us. Like, well, I don't know what I'm going to say, but sometimes we just need to sit and listen because God has given you that ability. There's some people who can't listen for two minutes and somebody's talking, and they're just ready to solve every problem that that individual has. You know what? That's, that's not the person we really want in every circumstance. Because sometimes you just want to walk away from them and say, do you have an answer for everything? Like, you, do you even hear yourself talking? You probably didn't even hear my problem, did you? And so it's amazing how God has gifted us all in different ways, and he wants us to use that to reach others. Continuing in the verse... Another resource he uses is not only his oil and his wine, his first aid kit, but it says, and set him on his own beast. Wow. The wounded man was too weak to walk. And so this man took his four-door sedan, leather plush seats, and cold air conditioning, and opened the door and said, get in. I'm taking you. Where do you need to go? The wounded man was too weak to walk. No negative attitude shown toward this man. He didn't say your physical ailment becomes a burden on me. But here's simply what he did. He walked by sacrificing his own good. And he let the stranger ride on his beast. That was a sacrifice of his own goods. And remember the motivation for these decisions was compassion. Verse 33. This is the same compassion that we would see 11 other times recorded throughout the New Testament that Jesus would either experience or be moved by. And you remember some of those instances where Jesus was moved by compassion? Matthew 14, he had just heard about his cousin John being beheaded by the king. His disciples had just returned from going two by two and coming back with great news and excitement to tell him. Jesus says, let's get in a boat, let's go to the other side of the lake, and let's just get alone, and let's just talk a little bit. Let's be rejuvenated, let's be refreshed, let's be revived in our spirit. And as they get to the other side, a great multitude had run ahead of them, and when they got to the other side, they were there, eager, ready, to hear more teaching from Jesus and to experience more miracles. And how Jesus responded, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 14, is that he was moved with what? Compassion. 
And as he was moved with compassion, he didn't say, your ailments become my problem. He didn't say, your time takes away from my schedule. He didn't say, your to-dos really complicate my flow. He just told his disciples, let's gather around, let's teach, let's heal. And then he ended up feeding them. That's the 5,000 plus. And that was an example of Jesus being moved with compassion and reaching more people. You see, Jesus was not bogged down with, with his weariness. Jesus was not bogged down with his what to do with the disciples in this very special moment of debriefing. Jesus was moved by those he saw that needed love, mercy, and compassion. Verse 34, after giving of his own resources of the oil, the wine, and his own beast, it says he brought him to an inn. Now, this was a risk for the Samaritan. Do you see how this is a big risk? Samaritan taking a beat-up Jew and traveling to a nearby town, a Jewish town, to drop him off. He certainly was putting his life at risk, carrying this man into a Jewish town. He could have easily been blamed for what had happened to this man and been falsely accused. Remember, Samaritan and Jews, they're not buddies. People would travel around Samaria instead of going through it because they did not want to have face-to-face interactions. It was all racial tension and religious tension. So there were things that were being said. There were things published in the New Jerusalem uh, Gazette newspaper. There were things going scattered all through Facebook. I mean, word was out, Jews hated Samaritans. It was no secret. So when this Samaritan man takes this beat-up and pummeled Jew to a Jewish town, it shows the level of sacrifice. That happens to us sometimes when we try to help someone who is hurting us, someone who is hurting, and, and we want to try to help them, but they end up hurting us in return. And then what that takes place in our mind is, never again. Nope, I will not help them again, and I'll not help anybody else again. Because we've been hurt, we've been wounded, we've been falsely accused, we've been attacked. I met somebody who had worked at Peace River for over 13 years. And in that conversation with that individual, I asked them what was the hardest part with his job. And he said the hardest part was not the long conversations on the phone with individuals helping them through circumstances. It was not counseling people in the dark, direst need of their life. The most difficult part that they had with coping was all the disappointments that came with trying to help people. Now, you've been around long enough to know that there are just some people who are helpless, and you try to help them. You pray for them. You pour into them, and it just seems like in the long run, it's all in vain. But if you're taking steps of obedience of how the Lord is using you, you know that God is teaching you new elements. He's stretching you and he is using your faith to impact somebody's life, maybe not for that moment, for later on. Natalie and I, we've, we've only been in the ministry since 2000, so I guess 20 years now. And when we look back at all of these years of ministry, there have been a lot of teenagers that Natalie has counseled. 
been a lot of young people that I've poured time into, and now into pastoring ministry. There's a lot of marriages that we've sat with, we've talked, we've cried, we've prayed, we've studied. And we were just rehashing over some of those things last week on our trip. And as we were talking about that, there's some people that I look back and I think of the hours I spent in their living room only to find out that eventually after 30 hours of counseling, they still had it in their mind that they wanted no part of being together. That What that brings in my mind is like, never again. I mean, I just can't believe I was fooled in such a way. But the truth is, is that that's just something I have to continually give over to God. The teenagers that have been poured into, that just eventually rejected and walk away, a life that you cried with, you spoke with, and you, you poured truth into their life, yet a life that's still going to make a decision to wander and walk away from the things of God. Folks, we cannot give up on reaching more people with the love of Jesus Christ. There will be people that you will share a life-transforming story. You will, cha- you will share your own testimony, and they're just going to reject it. They're going to think you're a fool, you're a fanatic, or you're just looking for some religious crutch. And that hurts. None of us in here want to be rejected. None of us in here want to experience somebody name-calling us as just some fanatic who's looking for a religious crutch. But that's going to happen with the more conversations we're willing to have. Because not every individual that you will have the privilege to share hope with is going to be a recipient of that hope. But that's why we just give it over to the Lord. That's why in those moments we ask for the Holy Spirit's empowering God to draw them to himself, but we can walk away with great confidence that we did our obedient part and left the rest to God and his work. So here he brought him to an end. This was risky, yet he took this opportunity. Remember, most opportunities, most opportunities to serve someone is not convenient. Most opportunities to serve someone is not convenient. A pastor once said this, the best use of life is love. The best expression of love is time, and the best time to love is now. So the cross was not convenient, but it was necessary. And Jesus humbled himself, Philippians 2, 5 through 8, and he left all of heaven's glory so that he could give his life on that cross as a substitute and payment for our sin. Look how the verse ends. It says he took care of him. Now, he gave two pence, two denarii, uh, which would have provided for the man's needs in the end, and, and really would have, would have given him at least two or three weeks worth of, of lodging and of help. Now, he went the extra mile and told the innkeeper if there was any needs that came up when he returned, he would take care of that too. He did not regard his duty to be done. Isn't that amazing? He's just going from point A to point B, and God brings a moment in his life to see this half-dead, beat-up Jew. He could have walked by and said, serves you right. I don't know what you're doing on this weird road by yourself. Serves you right. If you were kind to my people, then maybe I would help you. Serves you right to be in that condition. I've got a plan. I've got to get to where I need to be. That could have been his excuse and could have been his response, but it was neither. So what ended up happening is, is he takes him, and he goes through the journey with him. 
So that's all Galatians 6, 1 through 3 that Paul's writing about. He's remembering back to a teaching from the Gospels where Jesus gave this story of going through a very difficult, dark journey with somebody. It wasn't some pixie dust thrown on the guy to say, hope you're better, see you in another lifetime. He said, here's a place for you to be safe and to find care. And I'm going to come back. And when I come back, I'll take care of any other needs that you have. You realize that the needs that people have are not always just out of our pocketbook. You realize that it's not just things that have to be thrown out of our financial resources. There are needs scattered throughout the body of Christ where people just need somebody to go through the journey with them. And by the way, that journey can't always fall back on the pastoral leadership of a church. As a church continues to grow, we will find that the opportunity to serve one another falls right into the laps of each other. There are things that you know about, about each other, that I don't even have a clue about. But yet you're caring for one another. You're crying with one another. I was having a conversation with Miss Jeanette Smith in the lobby right before church. And one of the things that she said to me was that her church family have been amazing through this very difficult time. You know what that tells me is that we're part of something so deep and great that we are loving one another, providing for one another, supporting, caring, and compassionate for one another. And you may say, sitting in your pew, I, I hope to find that person because I don't even have a friend in this body of believers. That means that you need to get up you need to pray and you need to ask God to bring that partnership, that companion, that fellowship to you soon. And if you will adamantly, passionately pray for that, God will provide that in a loving, caring body like this. But if you sneak in and sneak out and sit in your car complaining that nobody talked to you or complained about nobody caring for you, then sit and nestle for a little while, ask somebody else how their life looks, start to care and empathize about other people, and you'll see how God will begin to pour that blessing back on you. Some of the people who are cared the most in this congregation are people who are so giving of themselves. And so as we learn this, this lesson, this man took care of him. The Samaritan was not bogged down with ceremonial purities, religious rituals, or denominational traditions. He just simply loved and cared with mercy and compassion. Now Jesus wraps up this story in verse 36 and 37. And he gives us an answer to a no-brainer question because verse 36, which now of these three think thou was a neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And the lawyer says, well, he that showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said unto him, go and do thou likewise. Hey, Parkway, over 400 people are moving into our area every week. I want us to give them a place to belong, a place to connect, a place to meet Jesus, a place to grow. And that's not going to happen with some big, big billboard on I-4 or the parkway. It's not going to happen with some uh, business card spread out throughout South Florida Avenue. That's going to happen because voices represented right here 
are going to imagine reaching more people because that's our calling. That's our mission. It's not us four and no more. Let's pack out the pews with people who need to meet Jesus. And then let's partner with other people who have met Jesus who just need to take the next step in their spiritual journey because we just love people and we want to grow with them and we want to grow ourselves. And so let's imagine 2020 reaching more people.